0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM. swing for the fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single,
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 30th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a mini water cooler episode. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film news editor, Y-Tren Bui.
2: Hey, everyone.
0: All right, H.T., let's jump right into it. We have not really been doing or reading much, so let's get into what we've been watching here. Uh, I guess I'll go first. I'll, I'll run through a few things. Have you had the chance to see Writers of Justice yet?
2: I can't say I have, no.
0: Okay, so Writers of Justice came out, I think, technically, like uh, late last year, but maybe like this year. It's a Danish film, I think, so.
2: Oh, the, is this film with Mads Mikkelsen?
0: It is, yes. Oh, I thought you're going
2: to go further. That's <laughs> no, all I know is, about I, it. That's all okay. I know is that Mads Mikkelsen is in it. <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to be like, oh, I have seen this. No, uh, I've seen the
2: trailer for it. And I thought, oh, Maz Mikkelsen is in it in that movie. Good for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is, um, you know, he plays a pretty intense character in this. It's a, like I said, it's a, it's a Danish movie. So the release, I think, got maybe a little, um, you know, by the time it came out here, like who knows what year it's technically classified. But uh, in any case, this movie, I think, is available for rent right now. And um, I would definitely suggest watching this. Uh, it's, it's, I think, written and directed by Anders Thomas Jensen, a filmmaker who I'm not super familiar with. But uh, Mads Mikkelsen plays the lead character in this movie. And he is basically a, I think he's a soldier in Afghanistan or Iraq. And he comes back home when his wife uh, dies in a bombing at a uh, on a uh, public transit, like on a train kind of thing, a moving train. And his teenage daughter survives the crash. And he comes back to sort of like put the pieces of his life together. And uh, he sort of gets sucked into this plot by um, a couple guys who basically their whole thing is like, everything happens for a reason and we can kind of prove it with numbers. And they think that they've stumbled across this plot that this, uh, this bombing incident um, was done specifically because there was a person on this train who was going to be a witness in an upcoming crime against all these gangsters. So, the whole thing turns into Mads Mikkelsen and a bunch of like middle-aged dudes trying to get revenge on this uh, this Danish gang because Mads Mikkelsen believes that they're ultimately responsible for the death of his wife. And it that sounds like a pretty straightforward kind of like down the middle kind of action movie, but the film is actually much more interested in, it definitely has a lot of action in it, but it's much more interested in like the mental uh, health consequences of what that could be. And, and I think that's what really makes this movie unique is like, uh, take you know, there are so many generic action movies where the protagonist just goes out and like wantonly murders a bunch of people, uh, in a, in a quest for revenge. And the movie just
2: sort of revenge movies. Yeah,
0: exactly. It just sort of ends and it doesn't really give you any insight into their mental state other than just like, grr, I'm angry and want, you know, to avenge my loved one. And this movie, um, because it keeps the the teenage daughter character alive. There's a, a family component to this where they're both processing their grief in a really interesting way. And they, this movie is like so interested in talking about like what these feelings are and what happens. And like all these middle-aged guys that are sort of in Mads Mikkelsen's like makeshift, uh you know, little squad. um They all have really fascinating uh, contributions to this movie's like tapestry of, um, yeah, like mental health and action. It's a combination that I've never really seen before. And I think it was done in a really, really interesting way. So in in any case, the movie is called Writers of Justice. If you're interested in it, I would, uh, yeah, I think it's available for rent right now. So Mm. definitely worth checking out. Um, HG, have you seen My Man Godfrey? I know you're a fan of like the uh, old school screwball comedies.
2: I have. I wrote about this on the quarantine stream way back when. Oh, wow. I I need to go back
0: and find that article.
2: Yeah, I absolutely love My Man Godfrey. I think it's probably (laughs) one of my favorite screwball comedies I've seen. Um, I just thought it was so fun and so charming and witty and also had an undercurrent of social commentary that, uh, about especially the post-depression and I think on the depression itself and um, the uh, Forgotten Man specifically that was so unusual, I think, in the screwball comedies of the day. And I thought that was – and yeah, it's just – it's fantastic. And uh, William Powell, correct? Yes. Yes, is – I was, I was very attractive in this movie. <laughs> the yep, th- Mr. Yep. Thin Man himself, I was like, wow, did not ex- expect to have a crush on the Thin Man. But yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I this, love I my was, man Godfrey.
0: This was two years after the Thin Man. So he's mm-hmm. definitely sort of like right in that zone. And um, I, so the thing is, HT, I agree with you about like the social commentary aspects and the, the um, the yeah, like, you know, this movie came out in the, the, the mid 1930s. So I feel like this conversation about um, uh, essentially, the forgotten man, like the, this idea of this homeless population in New York City, um, was not a conversation that is being had, certainly on the level that it's being had today. Um, so there, there is something like unique about this film for the time. And I, I loved William Powell in this movie. I thought he was great. Uh, Carol Lombard is in it, and she's like Carol okay. Lombard is in it. <laughs>
2: I mean, I enjoy her in it. I know she's she's playing that very typical screwball heiress in that she's incredibly ditzy and incredibly over the top but i think that the energy that she has with william powell is perfect so (gasps) so... i'm on board with it i know that you're not really on board with some of the more over the top screwball antics but um i think it works out for my man godfrey
0: yeah that's the thing is like i remember us having a similar conversation about uh, bringing up baby where Mm -hmm. like you were like fully on board with that and i liked you know elements of of that movie but I think I said something like that movie there's so much uh just chaos going on in that film and uh if I thought that about bringing up baby I was sorely mistaken because my man Godfrey puts that film to shame this this could basically just be called cacophony the movie it is like just people shrieking and uh man I mean the the very basic premise is that this this like family of new york city socialites goes down to essentially a dump in New York City and tries to pick up uh, like uh, homeless guys there for- or like to, a scavenger to, hunt. Yeah, to check them off a the list on a scavenger hunt that they're having. And one of the guys that they get is William Powell or a character played by William Powell. And uh, you think for the first half of the film that he is actually a homeless guy, but it's sort of revealed, maybe not even halfway through, maybe uh, at the end of the first act or something, that he is actually- um you know a, a guy who is of means himself you know a, a sort of a socialite uh somebody in the upper class of society who has been um you know he, he's he's down there, sort of like mixing it up with these <laughs> with these homeless people. He's both
2: been laid low, but also he wants to, you know, see it from the other side. That kind of yeah,
0: thing. yeah. And so he gets like sucked into this family and their chaotic insanity and becomes their butler. And so the the whole so, m- movie is just about the the relationship between the youngest daughter of this family, who is like obsessed with this guy, and him just sort of like looking at this family kind of from afar and. And from the inside as well, just like uh, judging them a little bit, but also, um, yeah, the, the movie doesn't really make some interesting points about um, about class and things like that. So, it, yeah, it,
2: the way I see it is that it's it's satir- it's basically satirical, like especially yeah. the way that it depicts the socialite family that it's it it's always laughing at them or pointing at them in some way, and I think that that's very intentional and that's how I kind of, that's why I'm very much on board with the the utter chaos of this film because it's very <laughs> much about how the rich are ridiculous and yeah. um, I think that it all works together and I think too that uh, William Powell and Carol Lombard have a chemistry that sometimes is like in screwball comedies it's almost more of a almost hostile like fractious yeah. chemistry but mm-hmm. they actually have some kind of affection beneath all of that you know, back and forth, push and pull. So I'm on board with it. My favorite screwball comedy. I'm just going to say it here.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's a strong statement, HT. Um, I, I I just would say that uh, that Carol Lombard is obsessed with William Powell's character and like proclaims her love for him uh, often, frequently throughout this movie, like basically at every chance she gets. Um, but I never really got the sense that he was like romantically into her because he never really establishes him that in the movie. And, and I guess he's trying to be proper because he's, he's like actually uh, interested in doing a good job as this Butler, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this Butler function, which I thought was interesting. Um, anyway, the, the movie is, I would say worth watching, especially for like the historical significance of it. Um, Cause it, it's widely considered to be like one of the best uh, uh, screwball comedies. But um, man, I just, I had some trouble, uh, you know, Pushing through the cacophony to to get to the um the good stuff that's sort of buried underneath the surface there. So that is my man Godfrey. It's streaming on the Criterion uh, collection or Criterion channel yeah. right now. Yeah, um, and one of the other things I watched is called uh, Happier Than Ever, which is or Happier Than Ever colon a love letter to Los Angeles, which is a new concert film that is coming out on uh, Disney plus very soon, I think within the next few days. Uh, and it's, um, Billie Eilish performing from the Hollywood bowl in LA and it's her doing her new album, which I think is called happier than ever. Uh, she's performing this album completely front to back, like every song in order. And, um, you know, I, I, we were talking about this right before we started recording HD that you and I are like not uh, full on Billie Eilish fans. We're sort of like, um,
2: uh, casual listeners. yes, yeah,
0: casual listeners, exactly. Uh, so I, I wonder how, you know, people who are obsessed with her music would react to this. I I came away being like, oh, this was like a fun little movie. It's like just over an hour, and um, the, the sort of interesting, uh, almost like framing device of the film is that um, Robert Rodriguez is one of the directors, by the way, and, and um, Patrick... Osborne, I think is his last name. He directed Feast, that short film um, that was in front of uh, the, the Pixar short film about the dogs. Uh, this was a few years ago. Um, but yeah, these two guys like co-directed this movie. And in addition to all of the concert stuff and the, the typical like performance elef- uh, elements that you would expect from a movie like this, there's also um, images of Billie Eilish walking around through LA or driving around you know, past all of the sort of most famous, uh, iconic landmarks and things like that, but it's not really her. It's like a rotoscoped version of her, like an animated version of her where she's the only thing that's animated in a otherwise live action shot. Oh, interesting. Um, and yeah, so the look of it is really cool. I just wish that that part of it added up to a little bit more. There is some of, you know, in between songs, You'll hear some of her narration. She's talking to the the viewers and explaining why she loves the city and um, different things like that. But there's not really much meat on the bone there. And I wish that they would have gotten a little deeper. Uh, it all feels super surp- uh, surface level, which is great if you're just wanting to throw it on and listen to the music and like watch the performances, which are Um, you know, really good. Like she's an incredible performer. Um, So it it works on that level. I just wish that the, uh, this sort of quote unquote extra stuff was a little bit more interesting. So happier than ever is coming out on Disney plus um, pretty soon. So you can like put that on your radar if you're a Billie Eilish fan. Uh, And then finally, one last thing I wanted to mention is a film called The Package that came out in 1989. So, this is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. I'm going to look this up because I know that it is uh, disappearing from Amazon Prime Video like incredibly soon. So, uh, yeah, as we're recording this, it leaves Amazon Prime in 10 hours. So, uh, basically, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, you can watch it tonight on Amazon Prime and that's kind of like your window, basically. Um, so, I just wanted to, to give a quick shout out to this movie because I had never heard of it before, and I love this film. Andrew Davis, who directed The Fugitive, directed this movie. It came out in 1989. It stars Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones, and it's uh, set during the Cold War, and it is basically a um, a movie where uh, Gene Hackman plays a sergeant, and the opening of the movie takes place in... Uh, Berlin. And there is this whole thing with the cold war going on, the the sort of um, peace talks between America and Russia and everything seems to be on the brink of uh, actual real peace happening. And then something happens and Gene Hackman's character witnesses something, you know, go wrong an assassination attempt kind of thing. And he gets pulled into this, uh, this larger conspiracy and he has to transport Tommy Lee Jones character from uh, Berlin all the way back to the United States and then Tommy Lee Jones ends up escaping and uh, it's basically Hackman versus Tommy Lee Jones in like a cat and mouse kind of thing as he they're like going across the country and trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this grand conspiracy and it is super well done and you know the kind of movie that feels very very similar to The Fugitive so if you love The Fugitive and you should because that movie rules and it's just like one of the you know completely down the middle like serviceable uh thrillers that is like a four quadrant like everybody can love it kind of thing you can find something great to love about that movie this movie is very very tonally similar to that um and actually i found it super fascinating because i feel like even if you didn't know that andrew davis directed this you would probably come away with it thinking hey wait a second did the guy who, who made the, the fugitive make this movie because there are several it's it's set in chicago which is where a lot of uh The fugitive takes place, and there are several set pieces that look almost exactly like what he would do a few years later in the fugitive. And Tommy
2: Lee Jones chasing someone, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe it's a Uh, hidden or Tommy Lee Jones is being chased in this one, so yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a flip when it comes to the fugitive, but you can easily see why, uh, you know, (laughs) why uh, Andrew Davis wanted to get him back into the fray there. So um, yeah, it's it really feels like sort of a dry run for the fugitive in in a great way, but like not in a you know the movie certainly stands on its own and it is good and and has its own you know uh uh wa- you know it it warrants a viewing all its own instead of just being just being a dry run it is like a great movie all all to itself so uh yeah if you're interested in in like a great like I mean it came out in 1989 but it's basically like an early 90s era thriller Um, the kind of film that we definitely don't see very much and and it has like peak Hackman and peak Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, yeah, it's called The Package, and it's streaming on Amazon Prime Video for a very, very short time. So check that out if you are interested. All right, I've talked enough. H.T., what have you been watching?
2: I watched Dear Evan Hansen, the feature film adaptation of the hit Tony-winning musical uh, starring Ben Platt reprising his role as a high schooler, uh, this time many years older and looking a little worse for wear. Um <laughs> I cannot say anything about this film yet because my reactions are still embargoed until the reviews are allowed to drop. Um, but I will say that elements that were considered problematic with the Broadway musical will be back in discussion again <laughs> when the future mm. film <laughs> okay. hits theaters. I'm I don't know if I'm looking forward to the discourse or not. I'm not looking forward to it, anyways. Is there be any discourse
0: that anyone should ever look forward to, H.C.? I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Anyways, <laughs> Dear Evan Hansen, um, a movie that I saw. <laughs> a
0: movie that you can't really say much about. Okay, exactly. Great. Hey, everybody, this is Ben. Just wanted to jump in with a quick spoiler warning. We spoil basically the entirety of the movie Annette. So if you want to skip ahead, go to the 2351 mark, and you'll miss all of that. Yeah, I look forward to having a more in-depth conversation about that once the embargo is lifted. Uh, but a, a movie that you can talk about, uh, full-throatedly, if you wish, is Annette, which is a, a new movie that I've talked about in the past. Um, it's streaming on Amazon Prime Video right now. What did you think about Annette, actually?
2: It's a very strange film, and we haven't actually talked about it Face to face, quote unquote, in this <clears> digital <throat> podcast realm. We've kind of chatted about it over Slack, but um, you kind of warned me ahead of time that it was a very odd film, and I went into it with those expectations. And yet, I was still blown away, I guess, by how strange and brazenly weird it is. And I do have to admire it for that. Uh, this is the new film by, directed by Leos Carax It stars Adam Driver and, um, and Marion Cotillard. Uh, Adam Driver is a stand-up comedian, a deeply unfunny stand-up comedian. Yes. Um, And Marion Cotillard is an opera singer, uh, the two of them who are lovers and husband and wife, and give birth to a young puppet named Annette, who um, is the love of their lives until uh, Marion Cotillard's character uh, dies in a tragic accident quote unquote and uh haunt chooses to haunt adam driver's um character through their child annette who miraculously has uh been given the gift of her her mother's voice mm-hmm. and becomes this magic singing sensation it's um i don't um, i watched it two days ago and i'm still trying to figure out how i feel about this film because i i i think it's it's so bizarre, and I I admire it and and think it was so think it's so brave and bold for doing something as strange as this, especially in a musical where you expect certain things to certain structures to be upheld. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Annette almost plays out like. Uh, a couple of people who who've never made a musical before who don't have any ideas of the rules see a an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical for example and they're like we're going to do that and it has some of like the the majesty and the grandiosity of a musical but in this very quirky eccentric way um, and almost has some shakespearean type of of brando- grandiosity to it too so I, I guess I liked a lot of elements of it. I especially loved the performances. Even though I'm not on board the Adam Driver's hot train, <laughs> <laughs> I have, half the movie I spent it and I was like, I don't understand why so many people think that he's hot. I understand that he's very charismatic, and I think he's a talented actor, but I was like half of it I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, he's very talented. He, he, he has a great <laughs> performance in this. I think um, – oh, what's his name? Simon Helberg. Yeah. Is fantastic in this.
0: He really is. He, he really has a very small role but like most people would probably know him from The Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. and I I certainly did and sort of like wrote him off and then I saw him in this and I was like, "Oh wow, like he can he can actually uh, you know, yeah. hang with these these other, you know, sort of more A-list performers."
2: He honestly gives I think one of my favorite performances out of the movie and a scene that I think is one of my favorite scenes, I'm probably going to argue for it for our, our best movie moments of the year because I absolutely love that scene. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's the conducting scene where he's talking about his relationship with with uh, Anne.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh,
2: the one that's
0: uh, all in one take as yeah. it spins around him. Oh, yeah. Oh, God.
2: It's, it's, just, it's breathtaking. I love that scene. So I, there's a lot of parts of Annette I liked, but it was so baffling to me that I couldn't just completely digest it. And I get what it's doing. Uh, and I admire its brazenness, but basically, I'm like, "Wow, what a movie!" And I don't know if I liked it or not.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm exactly in that same boat. And it's it's really it's a movie that's really tough for me to recommend to people mm-hmm. because it's so strange. And I feel like you have to be a very very specific subset of cinephile to, um, you know, like how often can you recommend something to somebody, HT, and say like you know, this thing doesn't totally work, but there's elements of it that are really great. And like, have that be the recommendation, you yeah. know? Um, For most people, I feel like, you know, for my parents or friends or something, I want to give them a recommendation that is like fully quote unquote worth their time, where it's just like, you know, a, a good experience from beginning to end, a memorable uh thing that they're going to either, you know, that they're going to appreciate all the way through. And this is just, it's so... um there you know there are these little elements that you can pinpoint that are like oh yeah this this works but like even the music which is by sparks who i don't think we said yet um mm-hmm. which is the the band that uh edgar wright profiled in that documentary the sparks brothers earlier this year and this is their first musical and it does, it does sort of feel that way uh even the music like the sparks pop music the the actual you know the music that they've spent their career making um is really catchy and interesting. And in this movie, I feel like the songs are not that great, which is kind of surprising.
2: Yeah, this, it's, I remember reading up that Annette was meant to be, like it started off as almost a visual album from Sparks. And that's how the project began. They were talking, they are thinking about making this a visual album. They teamed up with Leos Carax and then it became like a full-fledged feature musical. And I feel like I can see the beginnings of that where it's like this strange conceptual visual album, uh, which I like. I mean, I feel like I like the the concept and how ambitious it is, but it just doesn't land for me in an emotional way.
0: Yeah. That
2: I connect with it.
0: I think the final scene, once you or once I got got over the weirdness a little bit of what happens at the very, very end of the movie, which I guess we don't need to spoil here. Um, That scene works better for me, like, in retrospect. Like, oh, this is where the whole thing sort of comes together. And I, like, really now understand why this movie was as strange as it was. And, like, all of the messages that Sparks and and Leo's Kurax are trying to get into all crystallize in an interesting way at the very end. But I was so, like, put off by the... um, by the weird style of it, it yeah. you know, in the moment that I I had that same reaction as you, like I, I'm not emotionally connected to this to this while I'm watching it, and it's only afterwards where I'm like, oh, okay, like I I appreciate this now, but I didn't really like it, I guess.
2: Yeah. So our our uh, our um synopsis, our summary, in summation, an interesting film. Yes. yes. Definitely one of the most singular looking films, uh, singular films of this year.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. So that's on Amazon Prime Video if you want to check that out. Uh, What else have you been watching, H.C.?
2: I finished Beastars Season 2. I've talked about Beastars on this podcast before, so I won't go too in-depth into it, but I always really liked how that first season of Beastars, uh, which is a CG anime and is one of the most successful CG animes I've ever done – I've ever seen, sorry, um, because it makes use of the style and doesn't feel like something – that is hollow and empty. It try. It actually does something interesting and, and um, and cool to look at with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to sum up, Beastars Stars is um a an anime in which is that in a world in which um herbivores and carnivores live in uh, a. An uncertain harmony, and of all the characters, by the way, are uh, sentient animals. Essentially, just think of it as like Zootopia but more sexual. Um, and mm-hmm. if you think, I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's that furry anime, and the yes, but no, it's a much <laughs> more interesting anecdote about puberty and coming of age, and um, and and uh, grapples in a really interesting way with sexuality, especially in the current. Um, landscape of Japanese, of, of Japan as well. There's actually a term, I talked about this before on the podcast, but I'm going to talk about it again, uh, a term in Japan for um, men who don't have any interest in sexuality or dating or anything, and they're called herbivores. And this has been something it's termed because a lot of people are uh, withdrawing socially, and this is affecting the birth rate in Japan. And okay, I, I think that- talking about that. Yes. Yeah. And I think that B stars taps into it and and comments on it in a very interesting way while telling this really compelling coming of age story slash romance slash crime drama. <laughs> and um it's it's a lot of fun. Beastars season two, I don't I didn't love as much as season one. I don't think the the um analogy is as strong. Uh it just kind of leans more into the crime drama of it all, like crime thriller stuff, which is fun to watch, but um isn't as strong metaphorically. But uh there was some interesting I think, uh, LGBTQ connotations in this season that I found really interesting and compelling to watch. Uh, a lot more hold more autism, and I liked seeing that a lot, and I seen, I like seeing that explored. So that's cool. That was interesting. So Beastars Season 2 recently uh, debuted on Netflix. Not so recently. It was a couple months ago. I'm just very late to this. But I still recommend, if you liked Beastars Season 1, and if you aren't put off by the Netflix furry anime, <laughs>
0: okay all right good to know and then uh there's one more thing too that you've been watching yeah
2: right? i've been watching evil i haven't talked about this on the podcast yet and i i think a lot of people have talked about i were you a, one of the ones who were, watched it I, I have
0: not seen this i know jacob is a fan and i think i think maybe did you not talk about it when you first started maybe you like watched the pilot and i watched that the pilot and i was like this is
2: interesting i think it's my first time like fully talking about it but i've I finished season one because, uh, it's all on Netflix and I, uh, got really into it and I was kind of taking it a little bit week by week kind of thing. Um, but I really like it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly, yeah, shocked that this is something that made it to primetime TV on CBS, no less. Uh, and I think that it's very, it suits the streaming platform better as now a Paramount Plus original. And I think that, being on a parent on a streaming service and having more free reign to do whatever they want will uh, allow for them to go unhinged. But they got pretty unhinged in that first season, which I was very surprised at. And um, yeah, I liked it, and I'm I'm very happy with that first season and how it just kind of stuck to its guns and uh, kept doing such interesting, innovative things for a procedural about demon hunting, essentially. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's Evil Season 1, available to stream on Netflix. I will probably, maybe, ugh, there's so many streaming services out there, Ben. Should I get Paramount Plus? I know, Plus?
0: that's what I was going to say, because I, I I feel like they have a, a licensing deal for that first season on Netflix, but mm. all the subsequent seasons are probably going to just end up on Paramount Plus. So I was going to ask if you were going to subscribe.
2: I think I'm going to have to. I need to find out now what happens on um, on Evil Season 2, which is currently airing on Paramount Plus. And uh, all the Star Trek shows are on there now. They're, Star Trek is going to be leaving Netflix soon. So I need to actually probably just get a Paramount Plus subscription anyways. So uh, that's another one, one I'll be picking up. Uh, the only one I don't have yet is Apple TV. Um, so I'm still missing out on all the Ted Lasso discourse, which oh, I'm, wow. I'm a little sad at.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the uh, I guess one thing I, I didn't list on the things that I've been watching was Ted Lasso. And the most recent episode – which came after the I think one I think there's like it's been two episodes now since the Christmas episode, which everybody was like raving about. I think the most recent episode, which is episode six of season two of Ted Lasso, is maybe the best that the show has ever been. I I was not as enamored with that Christmas episode as everybody seemed to be. Um, People were saying that it was like one of the best episodes of television of all time. I'm like, whoa, 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 let's, <laughs> let's pump the brakes just a little bit here. Um, but How- man, that, that most recent episode of Ted Lasso was really great. And yes, I hope it, um, I hope it rises above the discourse because the, the conversation around the show has been a little exhausting. Recently. I
2: was about to ask you, Ben, what do you think of all the the Ted Lasso backlash? Because I have no idea what any of the backlash and like the back and forth is just because I've been removed from it. But do you think it's just a reaction to its, you know, positivity and stuff? I mean, I think,
0: I think there is. Uh, I have not read like uh, all of the the takedown pieces that people are probably using to sort of buttress their arguments um, in, in this loud conversation. Any t- almost any time, H.T., that I see a, that a big argument is happening online, I almost always just like refuse to engage with it. You know, and that's the I always, thing to do. yeah, I always feel like I'm I come out better in the end for not not even like wasting my time digging in. But I I think, you know, part of it is. The show, I think, won the most number of Emmys for, or Emmys for a, a new comedy, um, like right out of the gate. And so it's a show that has a target on its back. And uh, I think a lot of people are just like interested in sort of saying, hey, you know, this thing you love, it's not as great as as everybody says, uh, which is an impulse that I understand, even though I, I don't really care for it very much. Um, and and But I think there are some genuine issues with season two in terms of the pacing of it so far where and and so it as as with so many things online the nuance tends to be lost you're either in one camp or you're in another I feel like there's just no room for saying like hey I really like this show overall I love you know so many elements of it but I feel like there's you know they drop the ball a little bit when it comes to uh the pacing and the timing and like uh continuing playing out the story in a way that feels uh organic over the, from episode to episode it's like they'll drop plot points entirely for one or two episodes and then just pick them back up as if nothing happened. And I've seen a lot of people saying like, Oh, people just like forgot how to watch serialized television. And like watching the show week to week has just proven that people have forgotten how to watch TV. And like, I, I don't really agree with that, uh, that <laughs> stance because I, I think you can watch things week to week. And yeah, if, if you want to have a bottle episode or something like that, that where where you focus on a separate story that 's fine, but yeah if you 're telling a serialized story, um, I just feel like the threads need to be connected a little bit better a- as the season <laughs> progresses. I think that 's a valid complaint about season two of the show, but still i I love the show and and I think there's there 's room for both there 's room to you know not everything that you like uh, has to be flawless I think <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it sort of feels like in this era that's that 's what you're um, you know that, that those are the corners that people get backed into but uh yeah i guess that's my my, (laughs) that's your piece yeah 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 uh all right well yeah ted lasso is on apple tv plus and ht i I really like i don't know if you're gonna end up subscribing to that service but um maybe if the show uh i don't know maybe maybe if it comes out on dvd or something and somebody will gift it to you
2: yeah
0: um i I hope you get a chance to check it out because i'm I'm very interested in what you have to say about that show and and uh there's a bunch of other good stuff on apple tv plus too so uh, yes. All right. I think that's going to do it. That'll, that'll do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.
1: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing if you get a single.